1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Saul's heart is troubled without God's spirit, but he finds a little solace as David comes and plays his harp. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. The title of the message is a troubled heart.
2: All right, 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. Well, We saw last week that God had completely rejected Saul's leadership, and he sent Samuel to anoint David to be his replacement, but Saul has no intention of abdicating the throne. There's not going to be this, oh, okay, God's done with me being a leader, so I'll step down. And that leaves Israel in kind of a a spiritual lame duck situation. He's still king, but it's not the king that God wants. And so this not only leaves the nation of Israel in a kind of a lame situation, but it leaves Saul in a bad situation. Because leading a nation is not easy, and doing it on your own only makes it harder. So facing these challenges on his own leaves Saul with a deeply troubled heart. And we're going to look at that, and hopefully we can see how we can avoid that in our own lives. So chapter 16, and we begin in verse 14. It says, But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles you. Let our Lord now command your servants, which are before you, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon you, that he shall play with his hand, and you shall be well. And Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. So we see here that Saul's troubles start immediately when God puts his spirit upon David. He'd already removed it from Saul. He puts it upon David. And so in verse 14, it reminds us, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And the word departed there, it's the same word or phrase that's used to describe what Saul did with the Lord. In chapter 15, verse 10, where the Lord tells Samuel, for he has turned back from following me. It means to turn aside and go a different direction. So it's not like the Holy Spirit just disappeared. It just Saul was going a direction that the Holy Spirit could no longer go. And so the Holy Spirit has to turn and stop going the same direction Saul's going. The Holy Spirit did this because Saul refused to repent. God is so incredibly gracious with us, and I'm so glad for his patience with me in the times when I was being stubborn and disobedient. But there does come a point when God's Spirit will no longer strive with a person. God said that way back in Genesis to Noah when years and years and years of violence and, and wickedness and immorality. And the Lord finally said, listen, my spirit's not always going to strive with man. And there's coming a point soon in a hundred years, if things don't change, that judgment's coming. And so that's, of course, what happened when no one changed. And so God brought judgment. People will often ask me, why. why does God allow leaders you know, who, who have these private wicked lives, why does he allow them to have a positive influence? We have seen individuals recently who have been exposed, who seem to be having a positive influence on people's lives for the Lord. Why, why does God allow that when there's this personal wickedness going on in their private lives? Well, it's the same reason that he gave the woman Jezebel from the church of Thyatira time to repent. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want to expose our sin. You know, it's not like God's just waiting for us to blow it so he can shine it all for everybody to see. That's not God's heart. He wants to wash us clean. He wants to change us. He wants us to come to him for help in our time of need. But if we continually fight against that grace and that patience of the Lord, if we continually fight against the Lord's correction and refuse to bow our head instead of stiffening our neck, Well, there comes a point when God finally deals with our sin. In Proverbs 29, verse 1, it it has a heavy statement that it says about that stubbornness. In Proverbs 29, 1, it says this. It says, He that being often reproved and hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That's why these things all of a sudden just happen. They come out, and you're like, what? It's because God has to deal with it now. He didn't want to deal with it in that way, but now he has to. Despite Saul's stubborn disobedience over and over again, well, God's spirit continued to help him rule to be a good king. But Saul repeatedly told God's spirit no, by ignoring every time Samuel came to him to correct him, and Saul just kept saying no, 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 no. And so Saul has finally hit that point where God's no longer going to let his supernatural power rest upon him. He's going to say, Saul, you're on your own. And when the Lord lifts his hand off a person like that, it exposes that person to the enemy. And so we see that as the spirit can no longer follow Saul, it says an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, we read that, and of course, that creates some consternation and difficulty internally. But you mean an evil spirit from the Lord? That sounds awful. What does it mean, an evil spirit from the Lord troubled Saul? Well, this word in the Hebrew, from, It can be a marker identifying, first off, the initiator of an event or an activity. That's the way we normally understand from, so it can be used that way. But it can also be a marker identifying why an event or an activity happened, which is how we would normally use the word because. And so what we would say here is more appropriate since other scripture declares that God is not the author of evil. For example, and you know, there's numerous places, but you know, the most obvious one is in James chapter 1, where James just clearly comes out and tells us in verse 13, "...let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed." It explains in verse 17 that if something that comes from God is every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the Father of lights, and he doesn't alter that. It says, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God does not have an alternate personality that takes over if we upset him too much. He is who he is, and he's faithful to it to the very end. So since we have other scriptures that declare that God is not the author of evil, then it must mean the other one. It must mean because. In other words, because the Lord took his favor and protection from Saul, well, the enemy was free to attack. And that's what happened. It says this evil spirit, because of the Lord, because of what the Lord did by removing his spirit from Saul, it says that this evil spirit troubled Saul. The word troubled there is not just the idea of causing trouble, but it it means to terrify, to cause great fear. Now, First John four eighteen tells us that fear is like torture. It clouds our understanding of God's love and it, it torments us with, by telling us this is what you have to do rather than allowing us to rest in the Lord. Fear says you got to do something. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And that's torturous, especially if in a situation where you go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I have a piece of advice for you. It's a piece of advice that has kept me out of a ton of trouble over the course of my life. If you don't know what to do, don't do anything. And don't stress out about it either. Because he knows what to do. When I'm stressed out, it's because I'm going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? If I do this, this might happen. If I do this, this might happen. And God, what do you want me to do? Silence. And you're like, Ugh. but that's what, that's fear that's that. That's not God's silence that's doing that. It's okay for God to be silent. It's okay to wait on the Lord. We read about that in our scripture reading in Psalm 37. It's okay to just rest in him. I wonder how many nights David, we're going to read about it later on when Saul's chasing him all around Israel, trying to kill him. I wonder how many nights he went to bed and said, Lord, could this be the last night I'm running for my life? Silence. And yet David said, I laid me down to sleep because I trusted the Lord that he, he had me in the palm of his hand. I don't know what to do. Okay, then just rest in the Lord. Don't do anything. And I've had people who have been really nervous when I've had that reaction. What are we going to do? I said, we're doing nothing right now. What do you mean we're doing nothing? We got to do something. No, we do not. We're going to wait on the Lord and we're going to do nothing. I'm uncomfortable with that. That's okay. That's okay. Just lay that uncomfortableness at the Lord's feet because he's not. He's perfectly in rest, knows exactly what he's going to do. So this fear, this, this terrifying feeling that this spirit was bringing upon him, this demon was bringing upon him, was torturing Saul. And, you know, that's what you trade for when you, when you decide to reject God's word. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on, on your own understanding, and he'll what? You know, he'll direct your paths or literally make your path straight. I'm thankful for the, you know, when you punch in and, you know, say, hey, send me to the, this place. And I'm extremely thankful for, for that, you know, these tools that say, you know, turn right and, you know, 2,000 feet or turn right at the next exit. Now, it's really cool. I've got this little phone that, like, beeps at me, and a little phone, this little watch here that beeps at me. And you know, while I'm driving, I don't have to look at anything. It just beeps at me, and I know I'm supposed to do something soon. But have you ever had one of those times when it's confused? Like, you know, like, it's, it's telling you to go somewhere, and then you do it, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, rerouting. And you're like, what do you mean rerouting? I did what you told me to do. It's in. Incredibly unnerving because now the path's no longer straight. In fact, now you're driving, you're going, I don't know where I'm going. Trusting in the Lord will never be like that. Even if you don't get the update saying, turn left in four days. It's okay because you're never going to get to a place where you turn left and all of a sudden the Lord's like, rerouting, rerouting. That was a mistake. Like, what do you mean it's a mistake? This is where you told me to go. No, God doesn't make mistakes. He makes our path straight. What is the scripture in, I think it's Isaiah 40, the famous song, very classical song, every valley shall be exalted, every hill, mountain will be made low. God's able to do that. And so it's much better to not trade that for my own way of doing things. Everything that Saul's going through here is exactly why David prayed what he did when he was in a similar situation. Remember when David resisted the Lord for almost a whole year in his, you know, he committed adultery, Bathsheba, he murdered her husband, his friend Uriah, and, and he, didn't, he didn't want that to be known. He was covering it up and he resisted the Lord for like a whole year. And David talks about what that felt like in a couple of his, his psalms, his, his psalms of repentance and confession, where he says, man, I felt like, felt like I was pressed out like water, like the Lord was just his heavy hand was upon me. But when it comes out, when the prophet confronted him, David was like, Lord, no, 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 I don't want to go the way Saul went. And so in Psalm 51, that great psalm of repentance and confession that David wrote right after that exposure, David says these very famous words, create in me a clean heart. is Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he'd seen that happen to Saul. He'd seen it happen to a man he loved. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But instead, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. The word there, free, it means generous. that The giving spirit, the one who is constantly supplying our need. David was in Saul's shoes. He had, he had gone the route that Saul had gone, but he came to a place when it was exposed where he said, no, 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 I don't want to trade all that in for my way. Please don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He wanted the joy of the salvation and then the freedom that comes with that. And so he said, Lord, I don't want to go that route. And he confessed and he repented. Now, as Christians, we're in a, a, certainly a different situation than Saul and David were in. We have more than just an anointing from the Holy Spirit. He lives in our hearts. He takes up permanent residence. And so we never need to fear God taking his spirit from us because we blow it or even because we harden our hearts. But that privilege that we have, that that better standing in that sense because of what Christ has done on the cross, that privilege should never be used as a license to grieve God's spirit or to quench God's spirit, but rather we should use that privilege to glorify God. Knowing that, what a blessing to know that even when I blow it, that I don't have to fear that. In First Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about the beautiful privilege of having the Holy Spirit when he's dealing with some of the sexual immorality that was going on in their church. And he says, do you not know that the, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God and that you're not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the idea is, you know, we have this tremendous privilege. It should never be a license to grieve God's spirit, but it should be motivation to go, wow, Lord, you're never going to leave me. I want to glorify you. You know, when I blow it, I want to make things right. Well, Saul was already a paranoid person after almost losing his kingdom to the Philistines. So this supernatural terror, this attack made it way worse. And so verse 15, Saul's servants, the word "their servants, means royal officials. Saul's situation is way different than when he first became king. When we first saw him as king, he was out with the cattle and the tribes were all fragmented. But now he has his own officials who help him govern a very united nation. And so Saul's servants say unto him, we need to do something about this. Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles you. These guys are astute enough to recognize that God has removed his hand from Saul, However, good friends, good co-workers, good counselors, when they see that God's favor is not on you for something because you're not walking with them, they don't bring about their own solution to the problem. They tell you to repent and make things right with God. They don't try to put a band-aid on your sin. And so verse 16 and 17, we see their advice here. It's not good. Let our Lord now command your servants, which are before you, to seek out a man. We work here every day, but. You know, command. the word command there means to give an official order. And and what's funny is let our Lord now, the word now there is a very light translation in our English. It means please, we beg you. I mean, this is, life stinks. I mean, if Saul's chucking spears at David later on, I can only imagine what was going on here. So these guys were on edge. They're like, please, you know, don't keep us here. Send us out. Give an official order that gives us the authority to leave and go search out, it says, a man who is, A cunning player on the harp, knowledgeable and skilled on the guitar. The word there for harp is the same word that we used in this morning's teaching from Revelation five, where it's that kind of that handheld harp that they'd use a pick for. So it's a a kind of like a small guitar. So go find a a guy who can use this small guitar, and and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God's upon you. Here's our solution: He shall play with his hand, and you shall be well. The word there "well" means joyful, pleased. Good. Master, you've not been good lately. This will make you good again. In other words, instead of repenting, let's find a substitute for the joy of your salvation that you're lacking. Listen. Anytime you've got an area of disobedience in your life, and instead of someone advising you to repent, that they advise you to find a different thing or a substitute for the joy of your salvation, do not listen to that advice. Like Saul, it may soothe you for a bit. You might even have moments of happiness. But it will not fix the problem. Saul says unto his servants, provide me now. He doesn't listen to the Lord. He doesn't repent. He listens to their counsel. Provide me now a man that can play well. That sounds like great. Get me a guy. Get me a good guitar player and bring him to me. Now, some time passes between verses 17 and 18. We don't know how long, but the search turns up a very interesting prospect, a young man named David. In verse 18, it says, then answered one of his servants. This is a different word for servant. Here it means a lower class official, a youthful official. This was a young guy just kind of getting his foot in the door in Saul's court. And he says to Saul, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing. He, He meets your requirements, but he's Got so much more going for him he 's also it says a mighty valiant man It means he is physically strong and very capable. he is a physically strong man and a very capable man. He is also it says here a man of war it means a soldier or a warrior now david 's not a soldier in the israeli army yet we 're going to see that later on in chapter sixteen. but chapter sixteen will also explain why this official had this opinion of David because david. He'd had a pretty interesting life as a shepherd with many warrior-like deeds that he's going to explain to Saul why he's qualified to go fight Goliath. So he says, "Yeah, I heard the stories that David told me, and, and he's a man of war. He's prudent in matters. That means he speaks well and not out of place. Some people speak well, but their timing is awful, or their awareness of the setting they're in lacks wisdom, right? They're good speakers, and they say stuff, and you're like, oh, you didn't just say that out loud, did you? And then there are others who can read a situation really well, but they don't know what to say or do. Well, David, he was strong in both areas. Kid's a smart kid. He knows how to speak well, and he knows when to shut up. He knows the right time to speak. In addition to that, he's handsome. He's a comely person. It means good looking. And then ultimately, this guy says, and the Lord is with him, which is truthfully, the only thing that can actually help Saul. The Lord is with him. And so, wherefore, I, I like this guy. This young, I don't know who he is, he's, but he's not one of the bigwigs who suggested this idea to Saul. Those who suggested this plan to Saul, they were looking for someone that fit their idea of a solution. But this guy was open to someone who followed the Lord. And so, What's so cool about this is we see the hand of God working despite the plans of man, right? Saul's saying, I'm not moving. These guys are saying, it's okay, you don't need to repent. We'll find a substitute for the joy of your salvation. And God's going, try as you want. I'm still going to do my thing. And so David, the very man that Samuel anointed, that God picked to be Saul's successor, is the one chosen by this younger guy. This younger guy who was open to someone who, you know, the Lord was with him. And so, verse 19, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David your son, which is with the sheep. Uh, apparently, you know, he'd asked, Well, how do you know he's a man of war? It sounds like he's not one of my soldiers. And the guy explained was a shepherd. And Let me tell you some stories. But Saul said to Jesse, Send me to your David your son, which is with the sheep. And so Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid, a goat, and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And so... David, it says, came to Saul and stood before him. And he, Saul, loved him, David, greatly. And he, David, became his armor bearer. So Jesse, David's dad, sends David to Saul. He answers the summons, but he sends him with a gift. And that's to show his favorable response to Saul. I'm, I'm good with this. This is a great idea. This goes with my blessing. He's not just saying, okay, you can have him. You're the king and I can't do anything to stop it. He's saying, I'm, I'm okay with this. This is, a, this is a blessing on our family. Go ahead and let David be a blessing to you. So when David comes to Saul, it says, and he stood before him to pre- presented himself to Saul, likely playing his harp to see if he passed the test it says that through that process, Saul came to love David greatly. Now, this is not the word in the Old Testament, chesed, which refers to God's loyal love, you know, his, his unwavering devotion. It's not that kind of love. It's not like the New Testament word for agape. This is more like the New Testament word phileo, which refers to friendship or brotherly love. Saul really, really, really liked David, and he grew to trust him, so much so that he becomes Saul's administrative assistant. Saul asked him to become his armor bearer. I want you to file my paperwork and be by my side. I want you to be my assistant. So he really, really liked David and grew to trust him and put him in this very privileged position, this very trusted position. Now, of course, that wasn't the original pitch to David's dad. So Saul then sends a request to Jesse for David to stay as a permanent fixture in his court. So verse 22, Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David, I pray you, stand before me. The idea here is of permanence. Not just a temporary thing, but I want him in my court. For he has found favor in my sight. I like him a lot. And it came to pass that when, and of course, Jesse says, yes, it doesn't tell us that here, but he has to because David stays. For it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. The word there, refreshed, it's an interesting word. It means to feel relieved, to feel like you're in a wide open space. And then, of course, he had some joy. He was pleased. He was doing better. Now, fear, of course, makes us feel cornered, right? I mean, it's the very opposite of feeling in a wide open space. It feels like the walls are closing in. It feels like it makes us feel cornered. It makes us feel like we have little or no options, and that often produces panic and, and anxiety, kind of like an emotional claustrophobia. You know, you ever been in a place where you're just like, oh, I can't I can't breathe. Well, this is kind of like an emotional, I can't breathe. And so this this idea here is this fear that was squeezing Saul and making him feel like he was in a tight place. But whatever this demonic force did, it affected Saul's behavior so much that his officials stepped in and said, we got to do something about this. So the question is, well, if... God's not with Saul anymore. Why does the demon leave when David plays the harp? Well, my music can be soothing, I think it has less to do with music and a lot more to do with the Lord being with David because that's what Saul was missing was the Lord's presence. That's what was gone. So with David there and the Lord's with David, the anointing of the spirits upon David, I don't think the demon felt very comfortable hanging around. And as a result, Saul had a sense of that, again, that peace, that wide-open space, even though the Lord was not with him, because the Lord was with David. I think that's interesting, because if we all have God's Spirit, then that means that we can have a profound impact upon the people around us, doesn't it? One of the ways that we can impact struggling people around us is by just allowing God's presence to shine through us so it can touch them.
1: This has been In the Word